0: Nick at Night is a production of Council Communications.
1: And gentlemen, it has been another week gone by. there has been much craziness in the world and we will get to discussing as much of it as we can squeeze in in two hours. First though, <coughs> I got to do a little homework here or a little um, um, how do I say this? Well, let me put it to you this way. we went last Saturday night uh, there was a fundraiser at the Barhaven Legion and the recipient of the funds being raised a charity event was Hope Reigns, which is the organization that my wife runs. And it is the umbrella organization under which the Warhorse Project operates, which you may or may not have heard of. Um, she has poured her heart and soul into this organization and has for quite a... Um, uh, no, I'm not playing air drums. I shouldn't be. I keep forgetting, Doug, I keep forgetting him on camera. And I got to sit... T- <laughs> cause You think I'm a bad drummer, yeah, air drummer. You should hear me when I actually try to play the drums. It's ugly. Anyway, so we had this function last week at the the Barhaven Legion. It was for uh, Hope Reigns, which is the organization I just explained. And I don't know. We haven't seen the totals yet. But there was about 100 people. And Allison went and got us a table. There was four of uh, our family there. There was my son. Let me see. That would be, uh, who was it, Jordan. Um, there was um, Gabby, Allison, and myself. So we had half, we had about mm, not quite half the team there. I mean, there was a bunch of kids who couldn't make it. We'd have had half the room to ourselves if that was the case. But anyway, we went and had a blast. It was an absolute. I want to thank the Barhaven Legion for uh, allowing us to put that on, or we didn't put it on. Uh, the the um, I should give credit where credit is due the International Order of the Daughters of the Empire or the IODE um... very charitable organization what they do is they pick a an owner uh, a group or a charity uh, a year and they raise funds for them and this was our turn and they do fundraising events throughout the year for that particular charity great work and these are just wonderful lovely people and they had we had a ball absolute ball and you know, <laughs> you know big brain here I am smarter than everybody else in the room. We went, and there was about 18 teams, ranging from four to six people. So it gives you an idea. Plus there was, you know, the staff and all that stuff. So there's around 100 people in the room. And I thought, oh, especially when we get to the Canadian stuff, I'm going to ace this. I am going to ace this. This is my backyard, right? Thinking, you know, there's more to history than just the military side. And that, that never occurred to me. So, just as an example, okay, they asked the question who was Canada's second prime minister? Well, I knew that. That was Alexander Lyon Mackenzie. Not Mackenzie King, he was prime minister during World War II. Alexander Lyon Mackenzie was the second one right after Sir John A. Because if you ask most people, they would have said Laurier. No, Laurier came later. Anyway, so the point is. There was a um, uh, a lot of tough questions. Another one that I got right away was, who was the first broadcaster for CBC on Hockey Night in Canada? That was Howie Meeker. Not Howie Meeker. Uh, Foster Hewitt, uh, although Howie Meeker was a lot of fun, if you remember him. Um, the other one was, um, which one stumped me? Oh, it was more in entertainment than it was Canadian, but it was a Canadian question. And... The question was, who was, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. You've heard of the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Or was it the Bare Naked Ladies? One of the two. Had a very famous, I think it was Red Hot Chili Peppers, so there probably wasn't a Canadian question, just under entertainment. The question was, the lead singer had a very famous singer, uh, singer and actress as a babysitter. Who was it? Well, I looked at my wife, and my wife looked at me, and, The kids looked at each other. We had no idea. So we waited uh, because they would pass out the answers. You do two rounds, and then they would pass out the answers to those two rounds. And it turned out the answer to that question was share. Yeah, same thing with me. I looked at that and said, what, share? Really? I never would have guessed that, not in a million years. So anyway, the point is that we had a lot of fun it was uh, a great event, and I'm certainly glad that we went because, uh, you know, to get out and do something neat like that, it's well-run, well-organized. This is not the first time they've done it. As a matter of fact, the Legion does that about once a month. So you want to go and have fun, get a hold of the Legion, buy a table, take four or five of your best friends down there who think they're smarter than everybody else like I was. Uh, boy, Oh, by the way, we didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we ended up with 29 points. We weren't last either, which is what I really expected. The winning team, they had to have a a, kind of like a playoff, a uh, five-question deciding uh, round. And the winning team ended up with 53 points. So I didn't think we did all that bad because when we looked at our totals as the night progressed, we thought, oh, man, do we ever stink? This is horrible. We're getting our butts handed to us. But the the winning team wasn't all that far in front of us, so I felt kind of okay about that. So I left with my head, my chin, not my my uh, head up a little bit anyway. So that's what we did last Saturday night. And if you ever get a chance to go and do it, by all means, go and do it. All right. Now to the more important things in life. Uh, there's all kinds of questions I want to get into, but the first thing I want to do is talk about this these freed hostages. Let me just see if I can find the right page here. Uh, yeah, Morneau, yeah, I know. Uh, the New Republic, where are you? Okay, I think this is the one. It's going to take it, my computer is working really hard, so it's going to take me a minute to bring this up. Oh, yeah, who are Joshua Boyle and Caitlin Coleman? Okay, now, those are the two that were captured by the Taliban and held as prisoners for five years. And, I don't know, have you seen... The Netflix original series called Homefront, the basis of the story, or at least where it started, I, I I binged on it. I watched that. I watched the whole thing. My wife and I just got got right into that whole series. It was interesting. It was timely. It was all written. Uh, you know, it was some of the, the scenarios were plausible, or at least mildly plausible. Some of it was a bit of a stretch, but you suspend a little bit of belief. Uh, You're not watching a documentary, so you let the writers have some creative license, right? But this particular story about this couple who went wandering around in the mountains of Afghanistan feels like an episode of Homeland, that somehow there's something wrong here. There is something not right. And I do not know, well... I have my suspicions. I'm not convinced that these people were... And by the way, as far as as their family is concerned, they're only from Smith Falls. You know, it's not like they're... Well, it doesn't matter where they're from. They're Canadians. But a couple of things occurred to me about this. I'm delighted for their family. Let's put it that way. Because they have been under tremendous pressure for a long time, uh, for five years, wondering about the fate of their loved ones. Okay, that makes sense. I get that. I cannot imagine for a second what they went through. And I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that I have figured it out. Because how could you, unless you've been through that scenario yourself? This is not the same thing as asking somebody, you know, telling somebody jumping off a bridge is not a good idea, even if you've never done it before. Because this is outside most people's realm of experience. Um, You know, it doesn't take much rocket science to figure out that jumping off a bridge uh, and smashing yourself to turning yourself into an omelet on the rocks below isn't a good idea you don't need to go through that but in this case who knows what they went through because i'm not sure i'm buying the story i'm hearing so with all due respect to the family and i am delighted that they're back but something stinks here something is not right a couple of things first of all the pakistani commandos went and took out uh the bad guys Now, I got nothing against Pakistani commandos. I mean, I don't know how good they are, but they managed to get, um, they managed to free them. Okay, so I'll take that as at face value. But why wasn't it uh, JTF2? Couldn't the Pakistanis have said, yeah, they're right there, go get them. Are you telling me that JTF2 had something more important on their mind that day? You know, or that... Because that's what these guys are trained for. And if not JTF-2, what about CESOR, the Canadian Special Operations Regiment? They're just as secretive and have pretty much a parallel mission statement to, the, uh, to JTF-2. So one or two of either one of those could have done this. And yet Pakistan... Uh, was the one of freedom. Now there's some political reasons why I think that Pakistan did this, was because Donald Trump and the Americans have been saying you're not doing enough to fight Islamic terrorism. You're not doing enough to pull your own weight. So they said well we'll show you, we'll free some hostages. Which tells me they knew where they were all along. So I have some real problems with that. Secondly he didn't want to get on an American airplane. Look, if I've been held by the Taliban for five years, what do I care? The nation of the airplane, the, the the type of flag painted on the airplane, uh, you know, if I'm going home. The only thing I care about is does this thing fly and is there gas in it? Let's go. Who gives a crap what nation it belongs to? Something else. His language. Um, the way that he talks. The, the just there's, there's something that isn't right in this story. You go back to the original story and ask yourself this. He said he went out into the mountains of uh, the mountains of um, Afghanistan to fix things. Really, like what? What are you going to fix in te- in terrorist-held territory with a pregnant wife? Where is the? Am I the only one that thinks there's something wrong here? It's just it's it's. This is not what it seems. There's more to this than meets the eye, and I'm just basing this on my gut. I have no no more information than you do about uh, the kind of uh, information that's that's we've been given. I'm just basing it on the news reports. What else could we base it on? But the story I'm looking at, I think, was written by Tarek Fatah. I just had it here a second ago. Where did you go? Okay, here it is. All right, let me just give you a sample of some of the things he he uh, he. Brings to the sur- the um, uh, he brings to the surface and has I think it's written by Tarek Fatah I better make sure I get my author right yeah Tarek Fatah okay writing writing for the Toronto Sun and he says um, okay two things struck me from the first days of television covers of the reported rescue of the family of the, by the Pakistani army after being asked by the Americans to do so. The first was a rapid modification in in Boyle's appearance. He quickly changed from an Afghan or Pashtun appearance to one with a shaved mustache but with a clipped beard, often a trademark of a political Islamist Salafi or Wahhabi bent of mind. To be fair, orthodox but non-political clerics of Islam can also sport the same facial hair. Next next was what seemed to, to me to be Boyle's change in accent depending on his audience. When he first spoke in Pakistan, it was a mix of Arabic-Pakistani English. However, when speaking to the Western media, Boyle shifted to a more American pronunciation and in Canada to a familiar to a familiar Canadian nuance. Uh, he goes on here, which I think is worth reading, uh, because remember who Tariq Fata is, okay? He, he's a Muslim, first of all, and he's from that corner of the world. So he has a little more insight to this. Uh... However, once, sp- okay, Boyle's description of himself as a pilgrim was missed by many journalists who apparently don't know much about Muslim places of pilgrim where the Muslim of places of pilgr- pilgrimage are in Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, and India. And they're not in the Valley of Ordak, where Boyle says he went in it with a sense of mission to help people to fix things, as he told CBC's Susan Ormston. When Armistead gently asked Boyle why he he wanted to go to Afghanistan with a pregnant wife, a valid, absolutely, completely valid question, by the way. Uh, He portrayed his decision as not as an error of judgment, but as an act of sacrifice to do things nobody else is doing, so I think I have to do it. What things? Well, he never elaborated. The, Afghans, uh, the Afghanistan's Wardak province has been a Taliban-dominated area from the time the jihadis came to power and seems to have, been, have had no bearing on Boyle and Coleman's decision to move there. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on and points out things like this over and over again. If you remember, if, if you're familiar with the, the uh, series homeland, when they first brought the, um, uh, uh, the, um, the sergeant, can't think of the actor's name or or not even the character but when they brought this guy home there were little things that he did like the tapping of the fingers it seemed to be in a code and they i'm getting the same feeling about this that we're being led down the garden path here now how that yeah that's true his wife was hospitalized yesterday i didn't read the whole i didn't read that story i saw it quickly when in passing but his wife's in the hospital now what for I don't know. I should read the story, I guess. But the bottom line is, there's something something wrong. And I think before we do anything as far as uh, you know, letting him... I, I, it sounds like he's still a prisoner, but I would be debriefing him. I would be finding out, like, put him in front of CSIS or whoever, whatever intelligence agency you need to, and debrief him and find out where his head's at. Find out what his allegiances are. Five years in the hands of the Taliban, and you don't think that's had some kind of influence? There's a a syndrome you may be familiar with called the Stockholm Syndrome. Um, I think the first time we heard about it, if my memory serves me correctly, for those of you my age, you'll remember Patty Hearst, who was kidnapped by some group. And I can't remember which one it was. But she spent so long in captivity with them, she eventually began to see things from their perspective and joined the group and was uh, involved in a bank robbery. Now, I don't think it was five years. So imagine this guy and his wife, they killed one of his children and repeatedly raped his wife, according to the story. Now, that's another question. Why would you have children? Why? What Under what circumstances would you have children when you're being held by some of those brutal people on the planet I mean, look, I don't, I don't buy into this whole argument from people who live safely in the West that, oh, the world's overcrowded, we couldn't bring in any more children, we're not going to have any kids. I don't believe that argument. But if I'm in his shoes, then that argument makes sense. I am not going to bring a child into this world of captivity from the moment it's born. There's no medical aid. It's not like you're living in the West. If mama runs into trouble, you can always rush her off to the hospital here, out there. You're like going back 200 years. She could easily die in childbirth. And these are just the, the physical uh, side of things. You know, if, if uh, you have a breech birth or something like that, you're putting her life at risk. Never mind that uh, the, the babies as well, because it's not like you're going to fly to downtown Islamabad and put her in, a, in the local general hospital with nurses and staff and doctors and modern Western medicine to make sure that everything's great for the baby and for the mother. So why would you do that? And this is another reason I don't believe the kind of captivity story that we're being told. Did they murder a child? I wouldn't put it past them. But if they did that, what would make you think? Let me ask you this. What would make you think that they're not going to murder the next one? Or the one after that? If they've already killed one, why give them the opportunity to kill three more? This is the part that just, when I saw this story, I thought, okay, something is bothering me about this. Something is not right here. So, I don't know about you, but this stinks. And I really, really hope I'm completely wrong and that they are just glad to be home in the arms of their family. And I, because I do not want to rain on the family's parade, but I think there's some very legitimate, correct um, uh, stories that uh, questions that need to be asked about this particular story all right i got to play a couple commercials when i get back from that we'll have more right after this
2: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist
3: 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: All right, let's get back to business here. All right, Um, where was I? Oh yeah, let me go back to my list. See if I have a list, I'm so much more organized. Okay, yes, this story, where the heck is it? You remember last week, um, I posted online um, a story about uh, Jagmeet Singh, the new leader of the NDP, and that Terry Molesky... uh, Asked him some really tough questions. Well, not no, no. I won't say really tough. He asked him some questions about the area in the India bombing, and would he condemn, uh, you know, religious violence? Would he? he, Terry tried to pin him down on putting up posters about the guy who's responsible for this bombing, and and just wanted him to come out and say, "I denounce terrorism, and I denounce violence." Now he's denounced violence a hundred times, but he will not. He will not answer the question about the whole thing. Uh, Three or four times Terry asked him about, you know, uh, the terrorist organization that that blew up the, it was the largest uh, um, terrorist attack in Canadian history and killed 185 people. And he just wanted uh, Jagmeet to come out and say, look, putting up posters of the guy who's allegedly responsible for this is not a cool move. I don't endorse that. That's all he had to say. And Molesky, to his credit, tried three different times and pressed him on it. And it's no different than him asking any politician tough questions they don't feel comfortable answering. That's what accountability is all about. So Terry was just doing his job. Well, according to Jagmeet, he's playing the race card. Now, look, there. I watched the interview. There was nothing racist about it. It was just Molesky asking questions he would have asked any other politician in a similar situation. How do we know? Because we've seen him do it. I almost, saw, I almost said to Jagmeet, welcome to the Conservative Party, because this is what it's like to be a Conservative. You know, get pressed on questions. Uh, anyway, I'm drifting. But the, the bottom line here is uh, <clears throat> that Jagmeet is now uh, playing the race card. I'm just going to scroll down to the story here to get to the in the uh, Okay, get to if just there we are. Okay, <coughs> so I'm picking this article up. It's from where are you? No, I'll get. I'll tell you where where I got it got in a minute. In the aftermath, some questioned whether or not Molesky questioned Singh so aggressively simply because he's Sikh. Molesky said his line of questioning was valid, and he'd asked other non-Sikh politicians similar questions in the past. Yes, that's exactly what he did. In response to being asked if the questions were racist, told uh, racist. Wait a minute, let me start that again. As reported by the Huff Post, Singh, in response to... i got to read the whole sentence for it to make sense, right? As reported by HuffPost, Singh, in response to being asked if the questions were racist, told reporters Sunday there was definitely some sort of clear, problematic line of thought behind that question, so I'm definitely concerned. The problem is you wouldn't answer the question. The problem is you didn't like the question. You didn't want to be, You didn't want to be painted into a corner as a man who would not denounce religious violence. That's the problem. Not whether or not you thought it was racist. You only play that card when you have no other card left in your hand. And the fact that he's doing it, I think most Canadians are going to see through. And this is another reason why we have a left wing like the NDP, you know what? Maybe it's a good thing. This is maybe this is the this is the classic case of just keep talking son, just keep on talking. Because as long as he's talking like that, as long as um, people keep hearing this kind of thing, the NDP are never going to go anywhere near the reins of power on the federal level. It's just not going to happen because of guys like that. So let him keep talking. Maybe I'm, maybe my, my, I don't want to say outrage, but just I'm not surprised that he's playing the race card, but I just get sick of seeing it played. Well maybe in this case we should stuff a whole let them have a whole handful of race cards because most people are fed up with that and I think that this is the kind of thing that helps keep the lib- the NDP playing submarine on an ocean full of battleships you know the only difference is they got no torpedoes so they're not much good I mean, that's fine I don't care because as long as they can got people like him they're going to continue to be irrelevant. All right, so I just thought I'd bounce that off you. Let me see what else I got. Oh, yes. Okay, now, I think, look, we've all criticized, and justifiably so, the whole Bombardier bailout over and over and over again scenario, right? We're all familiar with Bombardier and how they get billions of dollars in relief no other Canadian company would get. Um, it's, you know, there's a lot of things in this in this country, in this companies passed but the thing to keep in mind is they do employ a lot of Canadians okay now they have an assembly plant in Montreal okay well not surprising and they built they have built uh, I was listening to Ian Lee talk on terrestrial radio about this and he was explaining Dr. Ian Lee from uh, I forget which university I'll say it Carlton if I'm wrong my apologies to, to the good doctor but um, he was saying that look our modern aircraft are extremely efficient, uh, very safe modes of transportation. Um, You know, they just they're amazing pieces of technology. But the C-Series by Bombardier is a generational leap forward. It's far more fuel efficient. It's quieter. It's more comfortable. There's all kinds of things about this airplane that make it an amazing airplane above and beyond the normal. So when Trump Uh, the American administration under Donald Trump came out and was ready to slap the C-series jet with a 300% duty. Okay, 219%. The first go-around, they added the the difference in the the following days and said, you're not going to be able to import because that's not buying American, that's stealing American jobs. So if you're Bombardier, what do you do? You still have a jet to sell. It's a great jet. So what they did if you're not aware they partnered with airbus boeing the the people who filed the complaint against them and got the trump administration to levy that um, the levy that uh, um, tariff to keep the c-series jet out uh, of the united states uh, they're one of the largest aircraft manufacturers in the world but so is airbus those are the two big ones and to give you a I remember Dr. Lee talking about this. And he said, just to give you an example of how large Airbus is, they made a billion dollars in profit last year. Just absolutely huge. These are monolithic companies. Okay, the both of them. They're the two biggest aircraft manufacturers in the world. So since one is saying, we're shutting the door, you can't come in, Bombardier went and sold 51% of the C-Series jet, not of the company, but of the C-Series jet, to Airbus. They reduced the government's take out of that, like our take out of that, from 49 to 30 to 19%. Uh, and a lot of people, yeah, well, there you go. We just got screwed, man. Well, yeah. Wait a minute. Because without Airbus, you'd have got 40% of nothing. With Airbus, you're going to get 19% of whatever they sell because Airbus has a plant in Mobile, Alabama. Guess where they're going to build the C-Series jet? In Mobile, Alabama. You know what Trump can't say now? You can't slap a duty and a tariff, which are the same thing, I suppose, on a built-in America by American airplanes. So it's a win-win all the way around. It was a brilliant, strategic move. First of all, Trump likes the deal, or should like the deal, because now he can say, ha, we sure fooled them, and he'll claim this as a victory. More jobs coming to the United States because they're going to have to ramp up the assembly line. Bombardier likes it because they keep their C-Series jet alive and the business and the profits that flow from that. Airbus likes it because it gets them into the American market. The only people who aren't going to like this are Boeing. It was a brilliant stroke of genius, and I don't have any problem giving credit where credit is due. So with that, I, I just, I looked at it and I said, man, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and these guys just turned it inside out. That was brilliant. So well done to, to the Bombardier team. And you know something? As much as we gripe and complained about uh, corporate charity, and believe me, if I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, if I knew what was coming, I still wouldn't give them the money in the first place way back when. You sink or swim on your own. If you can make it, great. If you can't, you, then it's unfortunate. But the government is not there to prop up businesses. It's there to make sure the infrastructure for businesses is there so those private companies can be successful. That's all the government's for. But we're a long way down that socialist road. So anyway, great job uh, for, um, for Bombardier. That worked out pretty well. Uh, let's see. Where else we got? Oh, yes, this story. You know, who doesn't like the caribou? I like caribou. Uh, I haven't had a chance to actually eat any yet. But my daughter, who spent some time out there in, um, uh, let's see, in B.C., she was... um, privy to some uh, 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 caribou or was it yeah caribou and she said it's the most amazing meat she's ever eaten and I'm just looking for the story here I've I've got it it's right uh, where are you First, here it is first nations now because the first nations are worried about the size of the herd uh, the migratory herd that they live off now I like caribou too But there's something about this story that doesn't sit well with me either. Now, and the reason I say say this is because they've signed this agreement where they're going to try to manage two large herds of caribou. Now, if you really care about um, making sure an animal survives, the number one rule for animal survivings uh, to avoid animal extinctions is to give those animals an economic value. Think about it. Are chickens on the ed- endangered list? No. What about cows, pigs? Nope. I know two pigs that aren't <laughs> that went to the slaughterhouse today, and are going to come back as um, as bacon, um, pork chops, and sausage, and so on. I can't wait for that. I was glad to see those things go, and I can hear a lot of people saying, "Well, you know what? That's great, but those are domestic animals." All right, well, let me ask you another question. Are we running out of deer? Are we running out of black bear? Are we running out of Atlantic salmon? Now, some of these animals, especially Atlantic salmon, had to be brought back from very dangerously low numbers. I remember that very well. Um, But the point that I'm making is that if you want to secure an animal's future, you give it an economic value. One of the things that happened in the case of the Atlantic salmon was they began to uh, raise them in hatcheries, restock lakes, and so on, release them into rivers. To uh, because w- the way a salmon works is when they're spawned in a river. Every river has its own, I want to say, odor. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but maybe taste or there's something in the water that the, that it gets imprinted in in the salmon's brain, and no matter where else they go, they always can follow the water the river right back to their right sometimes right to the very spawning beds they were born from and that's why they have these massive runs of of all kinds of different salmon up these rivers um but as far as the caribou are concerned you just start farming them that's how you save them and for those of you going well they're a migratory animal and they don't don't farm very well and they live way up north yeah well buffalo are migratory animals And guess what? There's a farm full of buffalo just outside of Renfrew. And you can buy buffalo meat in the grocery store. And we're not worried about buffalo anymore. You can do things like that. Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? Because what I think is going on in this story is that they're using the guise of protecting the caribou as a way of excluding people from getting at the resources in the high Arctic. Because when you look at the range that caribou's cover in their migratory passage, okay, they cover thousands of square miles. So if you say, "Oh, we got to protect caribou," you can't go in there because this is protected land, uh, migratory uh, land for the caribou. So we're not going to allow any development. We're not going to allow any mining. No pipelines, no refineries, no mines, none of that stuff because the caribou are our way of life. Tell me what the effect is. You see, if you want to know what a person's motive is for doing something, look at the effect of what they want to do. So I'm not necessarily convinced that this is all altruistic and they just want to save an animal. I think what they're going to do is use this as a bargaining chip. And they're going to use this to exclude mining companies, energy companies, um, mineral extraction companies, I guess that's a mining company, uh, from using getting at the resources that are under the, under the uh, Arctic shield up there in the far north. I mean, there's all kinds of diamond mining going on. The, we, we have a ring of fire here in Ontario where all kinds of minerals have yet to be tapped so are we really uh, talking about caribou's here or are we talking about controlling the wealth that's under the ground they walk on yeah that's what I thought too because there's something ain't right in Denmark with this story and you know I, I man I get cynical as I get older I don't mean to be cynical I'm not trying to say that Every time somebody lifts a pen, they're trying to have this conspiracy. But when you're talking about blocking off thousands of square miles, and they're not there yet, but you know that's what's coming. You know that's what's going to happen. Because how else are they going to protect them? If they don't farm them, how else are they going to protect them? Oh, and if you want to see how it could be done, go to go to Sweden and Lapland and look at what they do with reindeer over there. They live under almost identical conditions to the caribou, and yet people farm them all the time, so it can be done. Anyway, the point I'm making is that this is the kind of deal where you take large tracts of land off the table for resource extractions, and this is how they do it, because who doesn't like caribou? I think they taste great. I'd love to try one. If you want to save them, you have to give them an economic value over and above what they already have that's how you save them and every time we do it it works so that's just my little take on the caribou i just it, it just bugs me i guess when we have situations where you've got people um using or taking advantage of situations like this when you know there's another agenda going on behind the scenes. And when I mentioned a a bargaining chip, think of this. You've got this vast tract of land. You're protecting thousands of caribou. And everybody goes, oh, aren't they wonderful? Okay, I'm glad to see that. But we we know that there's a diamond mine, which would provide all kinds of uh, employment for the people in the area. Okay, we're going to set up a, a large camp. We're going to have a diamond, a diamond mine. Uh, you know, we'll fly in. The jobs are really well paying, you know, because of the high cost of living up here. Um, all these things, because there's so much money in the ground and diamonds, it's worth it. Or maybe it's gold or oil. Who knows? Quebec is floating on a sea of oil. They, won't ta- they don't want to tap it because they don't want to share it with the rest of the country, but it's there. So now the Inuit come along. Or the natives who signed this agreement, well, okay, maybe maybe we can talk about this, but um, I don't know. We we got to protect this land. It's gonna, and, and the whole time it's like, shell it over, pal. You want in there? Okay, we'll let you in, but there's gonna be a permit. You're gonna have to buy it from us, and it's gonna cost you a fortune. Because you're gonna have, and they'll lay all kinds of conditions down. And everything about it is going to cost the company money. And this is going to be a wealth creation project for the people who signed that treaty. That's really what's going on here, at least as I see it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is nothing but altruism at its finest. Maybe they really do care about nothing but the caribou, and all they're interested in is maintaining their way of life, you know, with Stone Age technology, They want to live like their ancestors did instead of coming into a warm, heated house. I'm being a little facetious. But the point I'm making is that maybe that's true, but human nature doesn't often do well for very long with altruistic, um, you know, unless they're extreme circumstances. And this doesn't strike me as that kind of extreme. Uh, You know, people will do things for altruistic reasons for a little while, but sooner or later somebody's got to start paying some bills. And when they think they've got their hand on the throttle and are in control, guess who they think that should be? Everybody else. And who should they pay? Them. So there you go. All right, I'm done with the caribou. So, Marin, you can relax. (laughs) Renfrew isn't. (laughs) No, it's not. And it's not the the plains of alberta or saskatchewan either but you know what that your uh, Marin just said renfrew isn't good up north you're right it isn't but we're <laughs> but the buffalo are doing fine anyway <laughs> you're making my point they can live anywhere doesn't have to be up north all right anyway i gotta take a quick break pay some bills and when we get back we'll
0: have more right after this But fix it right the first time. Irwin's out of motion. Thirty-four Cleopatra. Tell him council sent you. That'll make him smile.
2: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist 613-835-2600.
1: There we go. Hit the unmute button. There we are. All right. Boy, I sure got wound up over that, didn't I? All right. What else is on my little list here? Did you hear me laugh? Yes, I could see your face bouncing all the way from here. (laughs) Marin, you managed to make my night every Wednesday night one way or the other. So I'm glad you're in the audience. All right. Now. Uh, what else we got here? All kinds of stuff. Uh, animals, um, okay. There's just another story about Patrick Brown. And you know what? I understand. It's I'm getting to a point where I'm kind of glad to see this kind of thing uh, take place. For a while, it bothered me. And the reason it bothered me was because I I hate losing. But... This time around, I'm not voting for the conservatives anyway. Not the progressive conservatives, because guess what? They're not representing what I think is conservative values. So whether they do good or bad, I really don't care. Uh, Okay, now, remember this, okay, that this guy, Patrick Brown, is responsible for some of the most egregious attacks on uh, the grassroots of his own party that I I have ever seen in all the years that I've been covering politics. I mean, Hen picked candidates against the wishes of the grassroots. um, Just one thing after another, his complete tossing of about a third of his voter base under the bus. He's not interested in what the people uh, who voted for him you know, who are more socially conservative than he is, he's not interested in what they have to say. And he's made that abundantly clear. And yet, in a story from, I think, CTV, sorry, CBC News, he has this to say. I wanted this to be the most grassroots-driven policy process we've ever had, Brown said, of his decision to gather input from party members province-wide. Some of the foolish mistakes that my predecessors made could have been avoided if they took those items to the membership. Are you kidding me? is this some kind of a joke he has the gall and the audacity to stand there and say he wants to hear from the grassroots well the grassroots have been trying to get his attention for two years now and he won't listen so now the grassroots have all said screw you so maybe what he's done maybe what he's accomplishing is driving the grass out of the party that he doesn't like and now he's going to the grassroots because there's nobody left there who's going to oppose him. All the grassroots of that party now are progressives. They're not conservatives. Now he feels comfortable going to the going to them and say, What do you think? Because when we were people like you and I were members of the party, if we ever were, he didn't want to hear from us. He didn't want to hear. I remember Tom Harris, I had him on as a guest. I should probably get him back soon. He stood up and challenged Patrick Brown about how he knew for sure, what was his evidence, that man-made global warming was real. And Patrick Brown's answer was, I don't know, but I'm not going to lose an election over climate change. So the facts don't matter. It never occurred to Patrick that if he were to stand up against the mainstream that says, it's all your fault, It's all your fault. And said, no, it's not. And here's why. And explained to people that carbon dioxide gas is not pollution. And anybody who tells you it is, is an idiot or a liar. If he'd have taken that attitude, it wouldn't have cost him the election because a lot of people feel that way. Just because the mainstream media keeps feeding us this pap that it's all, everybody thinks that way. And a lot of people do. But by no means is it the, is it everybody. And if no one ever presents the facts properly, how are we ever going to change anybody's mind? So he just keeps blundering on one foot in front of the other. Uh, just So in, on one hand, I get frustrated. The other hand, you know what? Let him go. That's another one of these just keep talking, son. Just keep talking. Now, with that, that's probably a pretty good segue to ask this question, and it's on my list, and I'm going to get to it anyway. But one of the things that came up on Facebook tonight was the idea of how do we how do we get honest people into office. I'm rephrasing it a little bit, but how do we elect um, honest people when it comes to running our affairs, you know, in high office? Well, the first thing you do is you start at the bottom. And when somebody lies to you who's elected, you fire them. You just fire them. If you are, let's say, you live in a small community, not unlike mine, which is, I don't know, there's about 2,400 people in my township. So let's say Mayor Bob Jones says, well, we're going to do on this campaign, and boy, I'll tell you, we're going to change the way things are done around here. Because there's too much nepotism going on, and don't tell me there's no nepotism going on at the municipal level in almost every community in Ontario, if not the country. That's what runs a lot of these, these municipalities is nepotism. But somebody gets some courage or thinks he does and says, that's it. We're, we're going to hire a based on merit, and that's going to be the only criteria. All right, fine. So you vote him in because he's going to make that change. He's going to deal with taxes. He's going to try to get the, you know, make sure that uh, the services provided are of high standard and promises you the moon. Then you find out that he hired his brother-in-law to be the chief of the fire department, and he hired his cousin to be the waste management director. And a couple other things like that and found out half his family is now working for him. What do you do about that? Because this is how you get elected as an honest politician. The next time around, let him say whatever he wants to say. All you got to do is stand up in a town hall meeting and said, You promised you'd put an end to nepotism in this township, and you didn't do it. You're fired. And you walk to the ballot box, and you mark your X under the other guy's name. and You fire him. That's how you do it. Because, remember, the lower levels of of government are training grounds for higher levels of government. So if we stop the corruption at the lowest level, then we train them properly that they won't get away with it. And we develop an attitude that says, guess what? We won't tolerate this anymore. So when they go up, let's say they go from mayor, maybe they run for the pro- for the pro- for a provincial party. They'll remember their time in municipal office and remember what happened to their predecessor, who got bounced out on his butt because he lied to the constituents. Now, you have to use your head about this, right? We're not talking about somebody who says, "Well, guys." You know, I know I promised this or that, but here's the reality. If he just comes clean, admits maybe he made a mistake or something like that, but if it's an out-and-out lie, like, I will not raise your taxes, but I won't cut them either. Dalton McGinty. The first thing he does is repeal the act that stops him from doing that, and then the next thing he does is raise your taxes. That guy gets fired. Why? Because he lied to you in the most fundamental way. He said, without any hesitation, he even signed a document that said he wouldn't do it. So when he does it, there are no excuses. You said you wouldn't, and you did. And you fire him. That is how you elect honest people. And if you can't find honest people, then run yourself, especially at the municipal level. Now, I know it's the incumbent. Remember this. I know uh, several of the town city councillors here in Ottawa, and one of them tell me, to win an, uh, a municipal election, take 7,000 votes, and some of the constituencies, some of the wards in the city of Ottawa have forty to 50,000 people in them, and you only need 7,000 to win? This guy's won multiple years in a row. He's a very successful bu- uh, councillor. He's one of the few good ones down there. But anyway, the point I'm making is... You only need to convince 7,000 people, 7,001, I'm being a a little silly, but you only need to convince a relatively speaking small handful of people that you are worthy of the job. It's not easy. It takes a tremendous commitment. But if you don't stand and at least challenge the incumbent, then they don't have the fear of the ballot box. Because a healthy fear of the ballot box is like a healthy fear of a firearm it doesn't necessarily have to kill you but mishandle it and it probably will the voters should be treated with the same kind of respect you would treat retru- you would treat a loaded rifle and yet they're treated like tissue paper I was gonna say toilet paper but that's gives nasty mental images but does does that make sense like if you want to change the system you don't need to change the system I hear it all the time we need electoral reform No, we don't. What we need are better people in the system. That's like saying, my Ferrari doesn't run very well, so I need a new Ferrari. No, you need better gas. You need to stop putting in regular. Start running some high test. Take it for a tune-up. Change the spark plugs. Do whatever you have to do, but the the car, there's nothing wrong with. You know, that's how you do it. You don't do it by changing it's it's like look if you have a house and it's been standing there for 150 years mine's about 100 when was it built 187 I'll say 1875 because I I don't know the year exactly it was built in the 1870s so that you're pushing 140 some years now the floors aren't quite level the way they used to be and some of the doors stick a little bit but because of that do I tear the house down no There's nothing wrong with the house. I work with it, right? I take the door and I sand off one corner where it sticks a little bit because I know it sags. And in the springtime when the the ground thaws, it's going to shift back and it'll open and close real easy again like it does in the summertime. In the wintertime, it sticks because the frost heaves. You'll learn to live with it. But you don't tear the house down. There's nothing wrong with our electoral system. What's wrong are the people who are running it that we won't fire. That's how you fix it. That's how you deal with candidates and politicians who have forgotten that you are a loaded firearm. And if not handed properly, you'll take their head off. And they should be very afraid come election day. They should be up nights, sleeping, sleepless nights, hoping that they did a good enough job over the previous four years that you will honor them by returning them to office to represent you in places where you do not have the time or the resources to go. Because that's what a government is all about. Protecting your personal freedoms, your your the borders of your country, and providing the infrastructure for you to live a safe, and prosperous life not taking every nickel you have and making you feel grateful for that not for impeding your ability to raise your family not for teaching your kids garbage in school not for paying for every possible little perk and benefit to teachers or to union workers who work in the public service that's not what a government's for that's the private sector anyway so all right I feel better now. I got that off my chest. I saw that question come up today. I know what I'm going to get into tonight Some at some point during the game. Oh, speaking of the game, I should see. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my little two-minute break. I'm going to go out and see if my Leafs managed to hang on and beat Detroit because it was 4-2 to two the last time I looked. Um, I thought it was 5-1, to one, but the, I, I heard a cheer go up, found out it was the le- the Detroit that scored. So I'm going to have my little break. I got to go get another cup of tea. I'll be back in a few minutes. You guys stay right there because there's plenty more to come on the Naked Night Show.
0: So Nick is reloading and taking a much-needed break. Not that he needs one, but maybe it's a good thing. So if you want to fire him off an email, just uh, send it to nick at latenightcouncil.com. That's simple, huh? Nick at latenightcouncil.com. Or better yet, call now. Hey, I know he could talk forever, but you know what? If you're doing talk radio, you love the calls. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390 for the Capital Region. And if you can't get through on that line or you live far, far, far away, like we're talking about Alaska, 1-844-562-4766. That's 1-844-562-4766. Now, our call service is automated. You won't be talking to a live person until you're live on air. Don't sweat it. Just follow the prompts while you're on hold, and, and you'll be fine. Nick at night does not exist without advertisers. So if you want to buy time, you contact either myself, JC, at latenightcouncil.com. Or you can contact Nick if you're more comfortable with him. And of course I certainly understand that. You can contact Nick at latenightcouncil.com. The ads are like really, really cheap. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna love them. Okay, you're, you're, we've we've made them quite accessible. Feedback is always welcome. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And thanks for tuning in. Now, back to Nick at Night.
1: I keep doing it. I keep doing it. I got to stop doing that air drumming stuff. (sighs) All right. Now. So, after all that, I, I look. There's a couple of points I want to make. First of all, uh, Douglas says we should uh, look to the bottom of the list and call the progressives. Yeah, okay, that's one. That's a step in the right direction. But Anthony makes a comment. And I, th- I should spend a moment uh, addressing this, and that is, he says, "Recall legislation. Finally, someone's talking about it. Okay, let's talk about it." You're not going to like my answer. My answer is this. There isn't a political party that was, is, or ever will be in this country that will enact uh, recall legislation, and there's two reasons for it. First of all, it's against their um, best interests. They're not going to do it because that means they would be subject to their own legislation Okay, in a way they don't want to be because... Why do political parties come to, into being in the first place? Because they want, to, they want to run things. They want to be in control. All right. That's, and I'm just telling you, the, whether you like it or not, it's not the point. That's the reality. The other reason, which I think is even more important, is that let's say that we do have a government that is actually beginning to chip away and roll back um, a lot of these progressive ideas that have gotten us into this mess in the first place. How long do you think it would be before all of a sudden you'd have a tempest in a teacup? L- let's say that uh, Mary Jane is the best doggone politician we've ever had. She's not afraid. She breathe fire. She gets out there and speaks the truth. Is really for the, you know, loves her constituents and is doing a fantastic job beating back the, the, the progressives at every opportunity. And she slays them, cuts them to ribbons, mops the floor with them. They can't stand up to her. You know what will happen? They will start a tempest in the teapot over some made up or bogus or s- stupid issue in her riding and cause enough fuss and import people if they have to. They will create enough signatures on a petition to have her recalled and they will get rid of her because she's too effective. And that's what's wrong with recall re- legislation it's a double edged sword. And I don't want to put that kind of weapon in the hands of our opponents. I'm sorry. I just I understand your point, Anthony. And in a perfect world, it'd be the absolute right right thing to do. But we don't live in a perfect world. Sometimes we have to. We we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And this is one of those times. And I'm just pouring my cup of tea here. I figured if I can't bring the mountain to Muhammad, I'd bring Muhammad to the mountain. There we go. Let that steep for a minute. All right. Anyway, so that's. That was the whole point about this uh, recall legislation. Sounds great, but it'll come back to bite you. I promise you that. It'll come back to bite you. Especially if, um, you know, let's say as just hypothetically, all of a sudden Patrick Brown has an epiphany and he wakes up in the middle of the night one night in a cold sweat and goes, oh my God, what have I done? And turns everything around. And all of a sudden... He actually means it when he taught what what he says he gets it about the environment he gets it about social issues he gets it about education he gets it about carbon tax and all of a sudden becomes the very person we wanted him to be in the first place but there's recall legislation out there you can bet that the liberals would use it and they would t- they would caused that tempest in a teacup so i don't want to see that happen so it's it's a great idea in theory but i think when you put it to the acid test of the real world it simply won't work now the question becomes then the follow-up question to that is can there be or is there a canadian version of donald trump well if he was still alive i would have said Her- harold ballard comes to mind <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the li- by, the way, my Leafs are beating Detroit five to two or five to three, and there's ten minutes left to go in the first. So, go Leafs, go! That'll be uh, there'll be six one and oh at this point. If not in first, then in second, which suits me just fine. Even though I don't have most of them in my hockey pool, I got Bozak and. and uh, Cadre and Bozak, when I walked out, just missed the post. Good Lord, I need him to score. Anyway, that's besides the point. So the question becomes, um, could there be a Canadian uh, Donald Trump? Well, yeah, there could. Because I don't think it's unique what happened in in, uh, the United States. I don't think Brexit is unique. I don't think the election of that 31-year-old kid in Austria is unique. I think it's a symptom of a much deeper problem. Whether you like these this individual uh, these individuals or not, when you look into their personal past, some of the things they've been involved in, and some of the things they've done, that's not the point. The reason these people are important right now is because they send a message to the one-worlders, to the the um, socialist elite, who want us all to fall in the step with the United Nations and let them run everything. That we will not do that. There's a rise in nationalism. And you have you noticed? By nationalism, I mean patriotism. And in my books, there's nothing wrong with being patriotic. As a matter of fact, I think it's a great virtue. Now, like anything, if you're not careful, how do I put it? The Nazis, as an example, in the 1930s were very patriotic. The SS, the you know, the... The, the um, a, a lot of millions uh, of Germans uh, fell in step with Hitler and were very patriotic to their nation, to the detriment of the whole planet. So yes, there are examples in history when being patriotic is not a good thing. It depends on the qualities of the country you live in. But Canada isn't Nazi Germany yet. No, it'll never be that. But the point is that there's nothing wrong with, with loving your country. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see it run well, to see it safe, to to guard it and to protect it against outside and internal threats. It's the duty of every citizen to be patriotic. It's the duty of every leader to be the most patriotic of all of us. Have you noticed that, you know, whether you like Stephen Harper or not, there was never any doubt in anybody's mind That Canada for him was always number one. Can you say that about Trudeau? I can't. There is no patriotic bone in his body. How could there be if he's a post nationalist prime minister? Which means that he is a prime minister who believes in, you know, uh, following the UN line, in subjecting and subverting and submitting our. Sovereignty to an agency that cannot be held accountable. That's not patriotism. That's treason. So I have no, there's no comparison at all between the two. So back to Donald Trump. So I think that a Canadian Donald Trump is possible. I think somewhere. Amongst the 30, almost 37 million of us, there's someone with the right blend of charisma, intelligence, patriotism, and uh, schutzpah to grab the flag, run to the top of the hill, wave it vigorously about, and shout, here I am, this is who I am, this is what I believe in, come and follow me, and people will in their millions it wouldn't be the first time it's happened. So yes, it's possible. Now the article I'm referring to went on to say, has it already happened? Well, if it has, nobody knows about it. Because I don't see anybody filling that role. Do you? I certainly have no idea that there's anybody out there um, that can say with any honesty at all that, yeah, yeah. Look at this guy. He's our, our version of Donald Trump. The closest, and it was by no means a good example, wasn't there on no What's the other guy? Um, lives in Boston, collects guitars. Uh, come on, I can't think of his name. He came up, he ran for the conservative leadership. Oh, he used to be on the Dragon's Den. Or, or Dragon's Den? Yeah. He was a uh, variety, he was a, pop star on you know one of these shows and i cannot think of his name anyway so he was as close as we got and that wasn't very close that's not the kind of individual i think most canadians would band behind i think that there's there's somebody out there i just don't know who it is i really don't and that's tragic i mean i can think of a couple of people that i would personally follow lou mackenzie comes to mind now he's probably too smart to want the job okay why would he inflict that himself on that lou I, I have the world of respect for him i've met him interviewed him s- several times i've been to his home once spent an hour in his basement and we just uh just had it was a wonderful visit i'm certainly grateful for his hospitality and um, i thought when he got behind that um modern version of the Avro Arrow that there was some real um, um, con- not cons- substance was the word I was looking for to the idea of a Canadi- of reinventing a new Avro Aero with the latest avionics and engines and weapons and things like that and could have put Canadian aerospace back on the map and it wouldn't have cost us $100 million a plane like the F-35 which apparently uh, the Israeli Army found out this week that uh, they're not quite as stealthy as they thought they were, because uh, an older Russian surface-to-air missile um, came up out of nowhere and smacked this thing in the nose. Uh, they said it, it was. Uh, a, they said there was no confirmed hit, and that it was what did happen was a bird hit it and took the airplane out of commission. Well, that must have heck been one heck of a bird. Uh, anyway, so there's that's not the right plane. We could have very easily done that. <sighs> All right now let's i want to ask you a question so yes there could be a donald trump no a canadian version of donald trump there's got to be somebody out there um right now i just can't imagine who that would be uh let's see there is a story i'm just waiting for my computer to catch up to me here oh you ever make a cup of tea I, i drink a lot of tea and you let it steep just long enough with just the right sugar amount of sugar in it, and you take that sip, and it's perfect. That's not this cup. No, I'm kidding. This uh, it worked out pretty well. All right, now uh, let's see. Come on, this poor old thing. I got too many tabs open. That's my problem. Okay, now you all know that Sears is filing uh, for. They're not just going through bankruptcy protection. They're closing their doors. They're liquidating. Well, the company that is go is is their consultant to go through the process is a company that is, um, was it founded? If I could just, my uh, I'm stuttering and staggering here because I'm waiting for this laptop to catch up to me. But uh, the finance minister, Mr. Morneau, uh, <laughs> I heard some interesting names for him today. Uh, <laughs> I won't repeat them. <laughs> oh, come on, load. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, is involved with this company in some capacity. I don't know if he founded it or whether his father founded it and he was on the board of directors, something like that. And I have no opinion because I don't know. You see, if you have a consulting company, you're always out looking for work, right? I mean, that's just what consulting companies do. They consult. And when you're going through a major transition or a shutdown of a business, that's what they do. So the company is called Morneau Chapelle, uh, and it's taking over the administration, re- administration responsibility for the Sears pension plan. Just to make sure I get all my facts straight, the, the story is slowly emerging on my laptop here. Now, the Ontario Superintendent of Financial Services chose Morneau Chapelle through a competitive tendering process. The firm will take over administration of the plan effective immediately. All right, well, I really can't I'm having a hard time getting my getting a gut feeling about this because maybe this is just business as usual. Okay? Maybe this is there's nothing wrong here and I'm just being suspicious of anything re- remotely related to liberal. So let's try to set our loathing of all things liberal aside and we'll look at it um Uh, We'll look at it from simply a pragmatic point of view. Do you think that this was tendered uh, as, as, as the document tabled says it's been tendered, that they just put out the tender and the best company got the job and it just happened to be this company? Or do you think that there's a possibility at least that Mr. Morneau, through his connections as finance minister, kind of funneled the business? See, I'm not sure how all that works. I'm just suspicious by nature, and I'm looking at this saying, well, it might be, but uh, usually stories that appear okay first blush, if you dig a little deeper. So I'm just curious what you think. Um, the story is on my Facebook page, if you want to go and read the whole thing. Um, I just don't know I don't, I don't i don't know what to make of this i i i hate to cast aspersions where you don't need to i don't want to tarnish. you know if, if the company is a uh, you know a credible company then i don't want to cause it any any um uh i don't want to rain on this parade i don't want to tarnish any tr- you know tarnish its, it's but this at the same time it is a company that the finance minister is uh directly involved with and it's not just getting rid of the merchandise in the store. We're talking pension funds. Now, you think about the number of people who worked for, for Sears over the years and ask yourself if this makes sense to you. I don't know. All right, so I'll leave that there. And let's see. Oh, yeah, we needed. <laughs> okay, let me dump that story then. I'm just trying to lighten the load a little bit on my laptop. Okay, we needed a survey to tell us this, okay? Did you know that high hydro rates kill Ontario jobs? <laughs> I know, I found it hard to believe, too. But here we go. This is out at uh, Toronto Sun from Tuesday, yesterday. Soaring electricity prices resulted in 75,000 fewer manufacturing jobs for un- for the people of Ontario since the recession, a new report says. Rising electric electricity costs and declining employment in Ontario's manufacturing sector, a report prepared by Ross McKittrick and El- Oh my God! Why do they do this to me? And Elmira al Alikabari of the Fraser Institute says the provincial government's hydro. Why didn't I just? Why didn't they just say by the Fraser Institute? Says the provincial government's hydro policies are to blame for the disproportionately high prices and lost jobs. No kidding. Look, I'm not trashing the Fraser Institute. I'm glad they did the study. This is just another, you know, straw on the camel's back. At some point, the people of Ontario will, you know, if you, even for those who stick their head in the sand, you know what happens to you when you stick your head in the sand? Where does your backside end up? You kind of hang a sign on your butt saying, kick me here. So even those sticking their head in the sand eventually get kicked. And they have to pull their head up out of the sand or, and go, what the heck was that? And realize hiding their head in the sand didn't save them. So sooner or later, this kind of stuff just becomes too, just too much to avoid anymore. Uh, so it goes on to talk about a bunch of things like the cost of hydro and so on. But just look, folks, you don't need a rocket scientist to tell you that high hydro rates are killing manufacturing. Imagine um, if you are running a smelter. And you're making aluminum, a very high-value uh, metal. Aluminum is used in millions of different products, from pop cans to cars and airplanes. So it's, it's a very uh, useful metal. It's very easily recyclable. And it's one of the two metals that I know of that are actually worth um, actually worth recycling. Because it costs so much to make in the first place. That's why they make sense. Everything else is just a waste of time. I had a train of thought. Where did it go? Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, hydro rates. Hmm. Yes, hydro rates. So these high hydro rates, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. I am glad, though, that they have decided uh, to put this out because it's just more grist for the mill. You don't need to be uh, Einstein to feed to um, figure this out and i am very very happy to see them put it out but i'm trying to re due to poor wireless connection your video has been paused that's not good all right anyway i'm going to keep going because there's listeners online um i don't know why that's happening so hydro rates yeah that's no secret we've known that for a long time all right let me move on I want to get into talking about the history place. Yes, for those of you who don't think that Adolf Hitler was a Nazi, I don't understand. I really don't understand how you can think that way. Let me share with you some of the points from a document. That goes back all the way to 1920. I'm going to read. There's 25 points. I won't read them all, but I'll read a few. Uh, (coughs) First of all, uh, and some of them are contradictory. Number one, this is Adolf Hitler speaking now. Remember that. And think about what the NDP stands for, what some of the liberal policies are when I read these to you. We demand the union of all Germans in Great Germany on the basis of the principle of self-determination of all peoples. We demand that German people have the right to equal, to the rights, have rights equal to those of other nations, and that the peace treaty of Versailles and Saint Germain shall be abrogated. Okay, that one's a little bit uh, generational um, in its application. We demand land and territory, or colonies, for the maintenance of our people and the settlement of our surplus population. Okay, I don't know how to see there's no, 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 nothing in there about paying for it only those who are uh, who are our fellow countrymen can become citizens only those who have german blood regardless of creed can be be our countrymen hence no jew can be a countryman so there's uh, anti-semitism built right in to this document from the very earliest days now ask yourself this question amongst those when you find anti-semitism where do you find it more most often on the left or on the right That's my attitude, too. It is usually found on the right. Now, I have to relaunch my Facebook uh, thing here because it stopped on me. Uh, Let's see. Um, Come on. Step back a second. I will launch it. Come on. Bear with me just a second, folks. I'm having a technical issue I wasn't expecting. Okay. Camera connect. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Connecting. Go live. All right. We'll come back on. So let me go back to this document while this takes off again. All right. Where was I? Oh, yeah, anti-Semitism is normally found in modern, in our modern circles amongst um, the left. Now, I'm not saying that, as, I'm not trying to paint with too broad in a brush. Obviously, there's a lot of people who consider themselves progressive or left-wing who are not anti-Semitic at all. But when you do find anti-Semitism in any kind, of, you usually find it um, planted firmly on the left side of the column there are also examples of extreme right-wing um, anti-Semitism. It's not unique to that, but f- by and large, you do find it on the left more than anything else. All right. We demand the right to choose the government and determine the laws of state shall belong to only to citizens. We therefore demand that no public office of whatever nature, whether in central government, the province, or the municipality, shall be held by anyone who is not a citizen. We wage war against the corrupt parliamentary uh, parliamentary. Administration whereby men appointed to post by favor of the party without regard to character and fitness. Gee, that sounds like an l- affirmative action, doesn't it? Okay, we, let's see, we demand the state shall above all undertake and ensure that every citizen shall have the possibility of living decently and earning a livelihood. If it should not be possible to feed the whole population, then aliens or non citizens must be ex- expelled from the country. Any further immigration of non-Germans must be prevented. We demand that all non-Germans who live and, and have entered Germany... Okay, that one doesn't really apply to us. All citizens must possess equal rights and duties. The first duty of every citizen must be to work mentally or physically. No individual shall do any work that offends against the interest of the community to the benefit of all. Boy, that's not very uh, specific, is it? That's, that's actually rather neb- nebulous. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, That all unearned income and all income that does not arise from work be abolished. So if you have a tax portfolio, you can kiss that thing goodbye. It is done. It is gone. Uh, And again, I'm reading from the 1920 policy platform of the uh, National Socialist Workers' Party, otherwise known as the Nazis, headed by the now infamous uh, Adolf Hitler. All right. Since every war imposes on the people fearful sacrifices in blood and treasure, all personal profit arising from the war must be regarded as treason to the people. We therefore demand the total confiscation of all war profits. Okay, so where would that money go? If you're going to confiscate it, who gets to keep it? Oh, right, the government. They just don't—they don't quite phrase it that way now, but they call it taxes. We demand the nationalization of all trusts. We demand profit sharing in large industries. We demand a generous increase in old age pensions. Where have we heard all of this before? Well, the latest, latest ramific, uh, example of it in its worst form is Venezuela. We all know how that's working out. Okay. The state has the duty to help raise the standard of national health, providing maternity welfare centers, by prohibiting juvenile, prohibiting juvenile labor, by increasing physical fitness through the introduction of compulsory games and gymnastics, and by the greatest possible encouragement of associations cent- centered with phys- physical education of the young. So, in other words, what your parents have to say uh, has nothing to do with it. The state is the one that's going to do it for you. We demand the abolition of the regular army and the creation of a national folk army. I think he was uh, referring to his brown shirts there, but anyway. And then it goes on to talk about newspapers and how they have to be censured, uh, shall be held by German citizens. Non German newspapers shall only be published with express permission of the state. Sounds like, uh, oh, I don't know, all kinds of countries, starting with um, North Korea. All financial interests in our way. In any way affecting German newspapers shall be forbidden to non-Germans by law, and we demand that the punishment for transgressing this law shall be immediate suppression of the newspaper and the expulsion of non-Germans from the Reich. And they think he was a right-wing guy? There's nothing about this that's right-wing. Nothing about this that uh, actually has anything to do because what what do people on the right want? Because a lot of people, a lot of um, I have friends who are left wing, and they come up with some of the wildest things they think we believe in that, that we want. Oh, you you want economic slavery? You don't want anybody to make any money. You don't believe in a standard of living that's you know a living wage. Yes, I do. I just don't think it's the job of the state to provide it. We want smaller government. We want less control by the state. We want lower taxes. We want individual freedom and responsibility. These are basically the, the four pillars okay, of what conservatives stand for. Where did you hear any of that? And some of the things, I wasn't done. There was a lot more to go yet. I just gave up on it because I think I'd made my point. <sighs> I don't know. It's just he was a lot of things. But one thing he wasn't was from the right-hand side of the spectrum. And for people out there, and I get it to this day where people, how many times do you see stories written uh, about um, there was one story out of uh, out of Austria with this new uh, 31 year old kid who's now leading uh, you know a European nation called Austria. Um, apparently he wants to make some kind of coalition with a party that was founded doesn't mean that everybody in that party, shares his view but was founded by a former ss officer from world war ii okay and the article went on to point out that uh, tried to make the case in the story i was reading that this officer uh, from the fss was from the far right and the guy I was arguing with said see see he's from the right i said no that just means the reporter doesn't know the right from the left Just because you repeat a lie doesn't, well, Goebbels would tell you that. You know, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. But that's not, that, that works for semantic reasons. That works for propaganda reasons. But in reality, a lie is a lie is a lie. For as long as it's told, you can't make it right just because it's wrong. And you just keep repeating it. Like if I go running around, the world is flat, the world is flat, the world is flat, I'm still wrong. Because for as long as I'm running, I'm never going to find the edge. And it doesn't matter how badly I want it to be true. It The, the truth is, it's not flat. It's a little bit flat than a pole. I get that. But I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's not flat like a tabletop. Even though there was a time when the vast majority of people believed that. Isn't that right, Galileo? Oh, boy. All right. Let me take a, a quick break here. We'll be back with more right after this.
2: EMM Group is the authorized IntegraSpec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete farms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made IntegraSpec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at IntegraSpec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF
3: specialist 613-835-2600. Ron Barr, General Manager and CEO of the Greater Ottawa Truckers Association, the voice of independent truckers in the Ottawa area, and proud supporters of Nick at Night. Every day we go to work to help build a better eastern Ontario, and safety is our top priority. Every start of the shift, our drivers perform inspections on their truck, so we ensure that our drivers go home to their families each night, and you, the public, have confidence that the big truck beside you is safe. If you have any issues relating to any size truck, I encourage you to contact me at 613-738-1639. Let's build a better, fatality-free Ottawa together.
1: I'm watching it, and when, when uh, I kick off the show, we had an interruption in the Facebook feed, and I had to relaunch the, the video. So sorry about that, but that's just that's just the way things work when you're trying to do things the way that we do them here. And what reminded me of, uh, I, I don't know, for those of you who are around my age, which is old as dirt if my if you believe my kids, there used to be a show called Romper Room. You remember Romper Room? And it always started out with the teacher... Was a teacher, and she had this magic mirror in front of her. There was just a hoop, right? You, she, she, and she would say, "Oh, look! Uh, I can see Wendy, and I can see Spencer, and oh, there's Darcy, or Chris, I should say. There's Lorenzo, and Petey's there, and Jody, and all of our other friends. And when you, <laughs> when you guys are signing on to the Facebook feed, I can't get that image out of my head." Now, believe me, I don't think of you as children, okay? I'm not trying to pat you on the head like a two-year-old. No, no, it's just the image comes to mind about as these people join the Facebook feed. It's <laughs> I, I have this image in my head of this uh, short-haired brunette teacher in a white sweater holding up this little plastic hoop pointing out all the children, um, you know, and she couldn't st- oh, She's just picking names out of a hat. In the 1960s or 70s whenever that show was on they certainly didn't have the ability to know who was watching she was just picking names knowing that in an audience of 200,000 kids she was going to get somebody by that name so it worked anyway so welcome back to the show for those of you who are just signing on yes Jody I absolutely hated that show too and polka dot door was another one I hated although you know what when you talk about kids shows those shows are brilliant compared to some of the stuff your kids are watching now. Uh, I've got kids who absolutely love, well, two kids, two grandkids, and they love a show called Paw Patrol. Oh, my Lord. If you knew the way that my house was laid out, it's shaped like an L. Okay, You've got the main part of the house that was built in the 1870s. The kitchen was built about 80 years ago. Off the one side, think of a square box. Off one side of the square box, you have the kitchen. And off 90 degrees to that, you have the relatively new, by new I mean like 40 years old, log extension that was added to the house back in, I'll say, the 1970s. That's about 40 years ago already. And it's really the nicest part of the house. But that's also, it's a, you know, the, that's, that's the living room is huge. Uh, and we have a large TV on the wall. And when my grandkids come over, they want to watch Paw Patrol. Guess what they watch it on? You guessed it. The only TV in the house. So when I come in, I'll walk through. I'll I'll stop at the kitchen. I'll say hello to whoever's in there. I think, let's go see what's on. Maybe I'll watch something on Netflix. Maybe just just to kind of unwind, right? I walk in there, and, man... Oh, that's a thought. Mark just said, "I think she was given some names from parents who wrote in." I could be wrong, but I think that was the case. You probably you you could very easily be right. I thought she was just, you know, shooting from the hip. Anyway, so you walk into the living room. We have these double French doors. You, you, as soon as you know, as soon as you see them closed, you know you're in trouble. Okay, because that's to contain those two little kids. They're two and and one you're three and three and one, three and two, three and one, whatever. They're they're small. There's still, as a friend of mine would call them, tricycle motors. So anyway, you step through the French doors, and sure enough, there's a 60-inch plasma TV or whatever the heck it is hanging on the wall with Paw Patrol. And it is brainless. Absolutely brainless. And I I have to turn around and walk out. I cannot even sit down and put up with it for 10 seconds. And it is not that. It's Voltron. Or it's Spongebob, oh my God, I hate that show, Spongebob. It's enough to make you choke. There's only about three funny lines to ever come out of Spongebob. How do I know? Because I had to sit and watch that stuff. By osmosis, I picked it up, whether I liked it or not. And there was one time when the squirrel, uh, Sandy, turned to Patrick, the starfish, and said, Don't you have someplace else to be stupid? And Patrick looked at her and said, not until four. Okay, that was funny. Okay, that's one. One. The second one was when Squidward and SpongeBob are working in the Krusty Krab. And SpongeBob is all over Squidward. And finally Squidward turns to him and says, SpongeBob, do you remember when we had that conversation about... Personal space. All right. I laughed. Okay. The the third one was when they're with um, uh, Davy Jones. Okay. On his pirate ship. And they're backing up behind a rock to jump out and ambush other, other poor sea creatures. And as they're backing up, there's wood flying and things all over the place. And Patrick's going, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And finally they stop. And SpongeBob looks over the side of the ship and he says, don't worry about that, Captain. We can buff them scratches out later. (laughs) Just, okay. But that was about it. I think that show ran for four or five years, and I, good God, it was just insulting to your intelligence. The kids laughed at me because I love Foghorn Leghorn. Now, where all this is coming from, I have no idea. Rocky and Bullwinkle, what a great show. I loved it. Remember Boris and Natasha? We could sit here and reminisce about this all night. We won't, but just, man, I'm telling you, it was just unbelievable. You watch this stuff and go, please, please spare me. My brain hurts. Because when you used to watch the Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny, Roadrunner, okay, you knew it was slapstick humor. You knew there was not a grain of reality in it, like the Wile E. Coyote. You know, how many times is that rock going to fall on him before he figures out he's, he's not – Okay, and what's he gonna do with the roadrunner? He catches him anyway. He's not—he's a scrawny little bird that runs fast. But that was half the fun, you know. Painting the the rock wall face to look like a tunnel, and the bird goes through it, and the coyote smack. Love it. All right. But there was a certain kind of intelligence to the humor. There was humor there on many levels. In today's stuff. Nope. It just doesn't can't just doesn't happy doesn't happen anymore. It's just not there. Uh, whether it's uh, what's another one? Um, a TV show I can't stand is Brookfield 99, the most insulting to your intelligence show I think I've ever seen. Made for and and acted by adults. It's just out of the total. <sighs> anyway. Got nothing to do with what I want to talk to you about. You guys distracted me. It's all your fault. All right. Now, back to more serious stuff. Let's see here. Oh, yes. You know, we spend a lot of time moaning and complaining about Quebec. And we all go, oh, God, really? We got to spend all that money. We They get un- unfair amounts of money and equalization, blah, 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 blah. And we're right. They, they do. They do. They impose on us all kinds of things. Uh, you know, the, the continuous demand for ever increasing French services, um, well beyond the the what's proportionate to their prop, uh, population percentage. But once in a while, they get it right, and this, I think, is a step in the right direction. Okay, this is the headline from the uh, Ottawa Sun: is this. Quebec passes Bill 62, forcing public to uncover faces to give or receive services. Now, I've never had a problem with this. Calling it a North America first, the Quebec government passed passed legislation Wednesday forbidding anyone from receiving or giving a public service with their face covered and even while riding the bus. The opposition said the law doesn't go far enough. While members of the province's Islamic community said it targets Muslim women and violates their fundamental right to express their religion as they see fit. This has been a debate that's been tearing Quebec apart for the past few years, Premier Premier Philippe, Philippe Couillard told reporters. We need to hail this exercise. We need to remind people that the, we are the only jurisdiction in North America to have legislation on this issue. And here's the, the crux of it. Look, when you walk into a bank when you go in to get a driver's license or a passport, you should have to show your face. There are... I don't think uh, that it's unreasonable because in our culture, in our society, it is not unreasonable to expect people... uh, We do not cover up our face unless there is some kind of... um, um, uh, reason for it and the reason what the reason is um, the reason as an example halloween okay everybody puts on masks and they put on costumes and in certain places are starting to ban halloween because they're culturally insensitive to some some like oh my god give me a break really So one kid dresses up as a cowboy, the other one dresses up as an Indian, and now that's culturally insensitive and schools ban it. Like, for crying out loud, get a thicker skin. Anyway, so now what they've said is, sorry, you want government services, we're going to look at you, you're going to have to expose your face. We're not asking you to walk around in a bikini for crying out loud. We're just looking at your face because your face is the mirror of your intentions. Hey, I kind of like that. You can tell what people are looking, thinking about what's going through their head by the look on their faces. Like if you get a, or a, you know, you can tell what that is. That was the first one was surprise, by the way. And the second one was frustration in case you didn't catch that. But if all you see is this, how are you going to know what emotions? You're looking at a blank slate. There was a book I read about a queen who ran a kingdom who never exposed her face to a foreigner. When she would have emissaries come from other kingdoms, she would have a veil that she could see through, but they couldn't. And she'd sit on her throne and she would just sit there and not move. They would come in, they'd make their presentation, whether it was to ask for trade or threaten war or whatever it was. And... Because she made no reaction, they couldn't read her. They had no idea what she was thinking. And it drove them crazy. She won more, more conflicts, not necessarily wars, but trade disputes and all kinds of things, just because the emissaries and the, her, her opposition, let's call it that, were so intimidated by her that whatever she wanted, she got because they didn't want to have to stare at that veil. And that is what's what I think is behind a lot of this. Is When you walk in, in our culture, into a, uh, a bank or into a federal building or into you know some kind of place where there's going to be an exchange of information for government services, you should have to show your face. You should have to show it to vote. You should have to show it to get your passport, your license, your health card. Because otherwise, how do we know it's you? There's many cases where, at least one I can think of right off the top of my head, where one of the bombers from, I think it was uh, the London bombing, uh, very nearly escaped, dressed in a hijab. Because all you could see were the eyeballs. And he tried to sneak through security. Now, how they caught him, I don't know. But he took that and used it. Now, given Islam's history, I don't think there's much to ask. And, of course, there's always consternation about it. But I think Quebec has done one thing better than any other part um, uh, of the country, and perhaps even the world, and that is defend their culture. They have done a better job at that, and I think in this instance, it's to all of our benefits. (sighs) <sighs> all right so i just thought i'd share that with you because for once i want to say well done quebec instead of complaining about how much money they get and how much little they contribute in this case i think they set us an example of what to do and there's a in the in the article there's talk about uh, well it might su- not surprise surpa- uh, survive a court challenge well guess what they have pulled the notwithstanding trigger before and they do it every four or five years I don't see this as any different. If you if, if you use it once, you'll use it again, and why wouldn't they? Anyway, so let me see what else I got here on my little list. Let me scoot down here. What did I miss? Oh yes, yes. I want to share with you. If you're not familiar with them, I got to go to my Facebook page over here. Um, There's a a guy who contributes a lot to my Facebook page. His name is Bob Lyman, or Robert Lyman. And he does such a remarkable job of laying things out. I had him on as a guest one night, and I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Um, Talking to him, I I can't even remember what the topic was. The untalkative bunny. Hmm, look at that later. And I just got to scroll down now my page, because for some reason I didn't bring it up. And I should have. where are you show preview yeah just bear with me for a minute here folks i'll find it here we are nope that's that family oh yeah that i knew about where is that story i know he's written a piece and i want to share some of it with you because it's really really good uh, right uh no oh okay have i got time to do both okay this one came up first so i'm going to deal with this one first i should have brought this up earlier oh canadian trump no okay i did bring that one up earlier okay never mind wrong button let me keep going i'll find it load 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 i usually have these laid out in tabs and when the show starts, I can. Here we go. When the show starts, I can just click on the tabs and move down. But for some reason, my computer is being sluggish tonight. So that's why we're sitting here playing the uh, music of. Um, what's that? Do, 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 do Jeopardy. Okay. All right. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, because Bob uh, h- does such a good job lay- laying it out. But let me just give you a synopsis. Um, he starts out, the, I'll read you the first paragraph and then i get into the, the meat of it, just so you have an understanding of what he's talking about. For two days over the past week, Canadian Natural Resources Minister Jim Carr hosted a conference in Winnipeg that was billed as the launching of a new generation energy process, one that will lead to the development of a new energy policy that will attain federal government's objectives, of a clean energy system. Speaker after speaker discussed the marvelous opportunities for renewable energy, energy efficiency, alternative to fossil fuels, and electrified transportation, and the inevitable, irresistible path to this green energy future. All right. The problem is the discussion completely ignored what is actually happening in the goal in the global energy markets, and what is what the best experts on the planet say is most likely to happen over the next thirty to forty years. All right. So let me jump into this where where the uh, rubber meets the road. Okay. Concerning fossil fuels. For the last 30 years, fossil fuels, oil, natural, gas, and coal, have provided 87% or more of the world's energy needs. Renewable energy accounts for about 2%. Think about what that means. If what the first paragraph has to say is true then they've got to come up with 98% more than they're already producing with green energy over the next 30 or 40 years. That is not going to happen. Since 1966, the fastest growing energy source in terms of use is natural gas. All right, here's another little gem. Despite peak oil claims, world proved oil reserves have increased steadily for over 40 years and now exceeds, and this number is unfathomable, now exceeds 1.7 trillion, with a T, trillion barrels. Now, just to give you an idea, okay, a billion, here's what a billion is. If you took a billion dollars and stuffed it into your garage, you can't put it in the bank because the interest rate would screw this all up, and you spent $100,000 a day, it would take you 27 years to spend it all. So we're talking a number that's a thousand times larger than this one or a thousand million or a thousand billion. I'm not even sure what a trillion is. It's just but in other words, it's a freaking ocean of oil. Okay. Uh, World natural gas reserves have increased over 50 percent in the last 20 years. Global coal production. Uh, and consumption grew sharply from about 2.3 billion tons of oil equivalent in 91 to 3.8 billion tons in 2013, before slightly declining. Uh, the world primary energy consumption of all fuels is projected to grow 28% between 2015 and 40, with most of the increase occurring in the non-OECD countries. Even in the OECD countries, energy consumption is expected to grow 9% over this period. So not only... It, oh, not only do those who are who are throwing out this idea that green energy is the only way to go, they don't. If if they said okay, if they if they said all right, we'll go with green energy over the next forty years, you have to meet what we what we need today. They're already nine percent behind the eight ball because our energy needs are going to continue to grow if they can if they the best they can do is 2% now imagine the amount of money investment and chances they'd have to take in order to push alternative energy down the road that far that fast 40 years sounds like a lot but trust me as somebody who's already had over 40 years on this planet it goes by like that so i don't see any chance of that happening I want to thank Bob for providing that for us, by the way. Let me see if I can just um, kind of wrap this up. Okay, Uh, let's see. Gasoline and diesel fuel will continue to dominate the transportation fuel mix. The fastest growing transportation fuels will be natural gas and jet fuel. By 2040, electricity may come to attain 3% of the global transportation fuel mix. Electric vehicles... Electric vehicles now account for less than 1% of the world's light-duty vehicle fleet. Less than 1%, and you want to make it 100? Good luck. Energy-related carbon dioxide emissions will rise by 25% in the non-OECD countries, while remaining essentially flat within them. Total energy-related emissions from fuel combustion will grow from 34 gigatons in 2015 to 34 nine gigatons in 2040. That's not a decline, folks. By 2040, China's CO2 emissions will be almost two and a half times as high as those of the United States. India's CO2 emissions will match those of the United States. I just thought I'd put the discussion of clean energy futures in context. It's nice to have the facts. Thank you, Bob. You did a great job, as always. Oh, man, I'm telling you, it's really kind of unfortunate when this kind of thing happens because w- when when you don't get accurate information for p- people to make real concrete um, solutions or, you know, make decisions with. If you don't have the best information, how are you going to make the best decisions? You know, if people leave out key information, you're going to get it wrong. And it's not your fault. It's just you're going to get it wrong because you don't have all the facts. It's like if somebody says your airplane's full of fuel and it's only got... You know, half its load, and you're going to fly across the country. Don't be surprised if you don't make it because you thought it was full. Well, they have fuel gauges, but, you know, hypothetically at least. That actually did happen once. When we first converted from Imperial to metric, um, the airplane would carry about 300,000. You probably, some of you remember this story, would carry about 300,000 gallons of fuel. And when they switched over to liters, they put 300,000 liters in. And right over uh, out in Alberta, um, the engines started to quit, die off. They were on their way to the West Coast. And the engine started failing. They couldn't figure out why. And they realized they were out of fuel. And the pilot performed a, a feat of unbelievable skill and landed that airplane like a glider on an abandoned runway and didn't – and did it safely and everybody was fine and they tried it in simulators every pilot who tried it in simulators later crashed every single one so talk about a miracle all right that wraps it up for me tonight folks i certainly hope my leafs hung on to win i thank you all for being part of this uh, broadcast in whatever way that you chose to do it uh, i always enjoy getting a chance to talk to you folks I am really thinking about going to uh, two one-hour shows instead of one two-hour show. I probably won't make any move on that until into November but because uh, I want to do it right. And uh, I'll, I'll give some time thinking about how that's going to work logistically and that kind of thing. In the meantime, we'll see you all again next week right here on the Nick at Night Show. Ubi et amor deus EBS. est. Good evening. God bless. Don't let anything distribute peace and may have a fair wind and a following sea.
2: Of all the money that e'er I had I
0: spent it in good company
3: And all the harm I've ever done Alas it was
0: to none but me And all I've done went to memory now I can't recall So filled Fill to me the a parting, Drink a health, whatever befalls. Then gently rise and softly call. Good night and joy be to you all. Of all
1: the
3: comrades that it I had, they're sorry for my going. And all the sweethearts that e'er I had did wish me one more
2: day to stay
3: But oh, oh, since it fell into my lot That I should rise and you should not I'll gently rise and softly call parting glass